0: Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 128 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We're a podcast of science. Comedy. And
2: ignorance.
1: In this episode, we're going to be interviewing an ant scientist by the name of Dr.
2: Kirsty Abbott. Ants? Who cares about ants? They do nothing for anyone at any point, I'm sure.
1: You're about to care about ants, Gregoire. <laughs> You're our...
2: welcome to the podcast, Dr. Kirsty Abbott from the University of New England, a School of Science and Technology.
0: Thank you, Doctor Gregoire.
2: <laughs> oh no 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 no! I am I'm very much into the idea that that uh, we should we should lord our doctors. So don't don't give it to me.
1: And I only ask to be called doctor on flights so that it can get really awkward when someone has some sort of medical condition.
0: <laughs> no, not that rash, not that rash.
1: <laughs> Sorry, no. I, I'm a, I'm a doctor of uh, of uh, engineering. Great,
2: because the yeah. plane's sick. Ah, uh, okay then. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so people might remember Dr. Kirsty from a previous podcast that we did live at Woodford for the planting festival. Dr. Kirsty is an expert on ants, an ant expert. That makes you an entomologist, I do
0: believe. An entomologist, but even like if you're going to drill down even further, it's a myrmecologist.
2: A myrmecologist?
0: Yeah, M Y R, not mermaid. Like not M Y R. Myr, <colleges.
2: laughs> I'm not that interested anymore. Okay, stop the stop the recording.
1: And I thought and I thought it was M U M because ants are so small they'd be quiet. So when they're chatting they'd be like Yeah,
0: do some
1: air good. conditioning and <laughs> 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 just, just a bunch of ants standing around going, I think she's looking at us. Yeah, she seems to be studying and it's quite it's, yeah, what should we do? I don't know. Just act natural, man. Yeah, act
2: so, natural. So walk fast. So, so why we've um why we've got Dr. Kirsty on and so Dan can do his five minute comedy on ants <laughs> stand up. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm sorry, Dad. that's very good now ants i am assuming there's a, there's, there's a few of them there's a there's a lot of them maybe in the world it's hundreds how they, they're quite hundreds at least
0: Thousands Millions. There's actually trillions of individual ants on the earth at any one time. And Are you, you talk- know those stats where people compare biomass of this to, what yes. you know, to that? Well, it's really difficult. Like there's lots of different stats around, but the standard one everybody loves about ants is that the total biomass of ants on the earth at any one time is more than all the vertebrates put together, excluding humans. It's,
2: oh, so okay.
0: If you take humans out of the equation, there's more ants than anything else. That's
1: Wow.
2: Okay. I'm that's, just thinking of the
1: term all, the vertebrates put together and I'm all I'm visualizing is the end of a (laughs) cure. yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah rather go with the trillions
0: of ants literally put them together right
2: okay sorry so and a giant ball and a a terrifying ball that's just rolling around cold and flu medication you know yeah yeah so ants they're not social like we're social. They don't go out for lattes and things like that, which I've heard that's what humans do. Um, they work together but they they're social but they're not they're not like us are they? What are, they? are they like us?
0: No, no. Well they they're called eusocial, E-U social, meaning truly social. So we're oh. kind of you know, I mean we're social for vertebrates, but they have a next level of social where the altruism between sisters in these huge colonies is such that it's not every ant for themselves, it's every ant for the colony. And that's where E.O. Wilson, Mr. Ant, turned the brain superorganism because they really act kind of more like a brain where the Mm. networks and the individuals are working together for a single outcome essentially for the colony. So that's a truly social. And in in New Social Insects, they have division of labour, which is a characteristic of truly social things. Not everybody does everything. It's not a balanced parenting equation, right? It's like Mm. man goes to work, woman looks after the kids. That's totally what it's like. Queen lays eggs, workers, you know, collect food. Nurses look after the eggs and larvae. The soldiers defend the nest. So that division of labour means that there's a really efficient task allocation system and they have overlapping generations so there's always eggs there's always larvae there's always pupae there's always adults of every age and so you don't have these really single cohorts so it allows them to be successful and social 24 7 for their entire colony lives and the other really cool thing is that they've got this reproductive system called haplodiploidy and it's not really something i can going to i'm not a geneticist that's a lego
2: but... thing i've seen that you've got lego then you've got haploidy which is like Lego for young people. Duplo,
0: Duplo, Duplo, oh, Duplo,
2: Yeah, damn it. <laughs> oh. but
0: that's brilliant. Maybe we should make Lego called haplo diploidy and we just get like genetic systems working out. <laughs> but it's basically that the like so the queen is diploid, but males are only born once or twice a year, and they're haploid. So when they mate, they get together to be triploid, and then when you, when they separate and mitosis happens, you've essentially got the offspring are 75% related to each other, which is more related to each other than they are to their mum and dad, yeah?
2: Right. Guess, if, you're thinking like, if you're thinking humans, my parents have, I mean, they're three kids. We're, on average, 50% related to each other because of genetics. Yeah, genetic. yes. Okay, yeah right because so,
0: you've got diploid diploid getting together and then you and then they you know they get together they combination random crossing over all that sort of stuff and then meiosis yeah. happens and then you pull them apart again and you've got diploid organisms but essentially with ants you become triploid you've got two sets of genes from your mum one set from your dad and then when you have that random crossing over and pull them apart again they're actually they've got 75% of their genes are How? same basically so the sisters the, the worker ants are more related to each other than they are to their mums and dads which wow. means that they're more likely to cooperate and so this whole theory of kin That's
2: not how I found kin- it with red- my siblings at all but anyway
0: No so. no
2: <laughs> <laughs> The more related you are, it does not mean you work together a lot. I must admit that's not how it works for us,
0: but anyway. No, see, different social <laughs> systems, no. Altruism in humans and altruism in ants is a completely different concept, seriously, but the sisters are more likely to work together because they're more related, and the more related you are to someone, the more likely you are to protect them and work together and, and work for one outcome, and that's exactly what happens with Otherwise, ants. Otherwise, so you don't
1: procreate properly and, you, you, and your DNA drops away.
0: Yeah, so it's in their best interest, right, to help each other.
2: That's amazing. I didn't realise that at all. So they're very closely related. Now, when we hear about families being closely related in humans, that's always like inbreeding and that sort of stuff. That's always a bad thing. Of time goes on, oh, you start they're getting... Very, they work hard to, like, defend each other,
1: though. Yeah, like that's right. Like, they it, might it, have it, some genetic it, problems, yes. but <laughs> they're very true. much, yeah, yeah. no, but my family,
2: so pretty, the best yeah. family. Yes, I am about to say, yes, I am about to go. You know, I understand what you're saying. So, <laughs> so with ants, do ants inbreed then in the nest? I mean, how do they get around that problem?
0: That's where males and females have wings because the inbreeding would happen if the queens that were producing queens and males in the nest hmm. were then breeding within the colony, right? So each colony and nest, if you like, of ants is, has different genetic material. So when the males are produced and they've got wings, that's when they fly away, fly oh, away, fly right. away from home, and then they go okay. and mate with a queen that's from another colony. So that that's the outbreeding
2: part. Ah, okay, right. So so it's, yeah, I think what you're saying, so it's not from internal. The male goes off to him and does his own thing. I've seen flying yeah. ants actually. I think no, about they it, of still
0: course. Have that Yeah, yeah.
2: Yes. Do they all fly? Do all ants? Not all ants. but Do all ants have a flying component?
0: Yeah. The queens and the males um, have are always wings just for that. The dispersing. queens fly. Yeah, yeah.
2: Because oh, the queens are huge, aren't they? They're like, aren't they like like larger? Normally, on average, like much, 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 much bigger.
0: Yeah, yeah. They've got giant. Well, they have in their thorax. They have to have giant muscles to control their wings right like so when you look at anything that has wings has a bigger thorax than something that doesn't have wings because they've got all those flight muscles but their abdomen has to be huge because they've got increased fats and lipids to be able to sustain their first generation of offspring because the males die right males are redundant so the males mate (laughs) and then it's like see you later buddy um and then the, the female has to sustain Laying the eggs and looking after, I guess, the first generation of offspring. And so she has to have fat. She has to have lots of stories. So abdomen's bigger and she needs wings to get there so her thorax is bigger.
2: So when she mates with the guy who's sort of coming from somewhere else, with humans, you've got to have, like, one mating for one baby. Maybe you can have, like, twins or triplets or something like that, but it's really normally one mating and one offspring production. You can't store sperm for later does, does she have to ha- like keep guys around for ages or no she's like thanks go away now
0: yeah one mating and she's set for life life she can just yeah life she can just pump out eggs for the rest of her life
2: life that's insane now what's the life for a queen ant though like is that like yeah. a day a week a year
0: Yeah. yeah. literature says the longest living queen ant was about 30 years but that's mega
2: what? wow
0: <laughs> i know I, that's I, like that's not that's even th-
1: close. That's like a naked vol rat. Yeah, naked mole rat. That that's a I long time.
0: Yeah, All those yeah it's big animals that live That's, long that's crazy. But that's not normal. Yeah, that's not normal. So most, most okay. queen ants would live anywhere between sort of like a year and maybe five years or something like that. That's that's a long time. But the term of time. workers would be every sort of six months as well. So that's they don't live long.
2: Right, okay. That's that's so amazing.
1: Are the workers and the what are the other ones? Farmers? Engineers? Workers soldiers? and soldiers, no. workers and soldiers. Are they physically different creatures or are they or is it just a part in their brain which is like I'm going to work or I'm going to solge?
0: So both. <laughs> and the best thing about ants is because there's so many of them. So in the world there's over 15,000 species and you could probably say that they've radiated to the point where every species has solved an evolutionary strategy slightly differently. So it's really difficult to generalize with ants, you can, but in this case there's some six legs. Species yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah.
2: That's, that's, that's sorry, I'm, so, I'm, just, I'm just showing off my dollars now. That might be
0: Good work, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of soldiers and workers, it can be two things. It can be a sequential behavioural change with age. So when they first born out of a pupae, they need to harden but, and they're a little bit vulnerable, like the air hardens their cuticle. And so they stay in the nest and they often become nurses first. So they're looking after their sisters that are still small and feeding the queen. And then as their cuticle hardens, they can go outside the nest and start looking for food or become soldiers. And then when they become a little bit more dispensable, they can go further and further and further away looking for food and defend the nest that way. So they can have that sequential task changing and task switching yeah
2: so they can actually change tasks as life life goes on right okay right the career change that's nice yeah it's total career
0: change yeah yeah but there's some species there's a genus around the world Fidoli, which is one of the biggest genera of ants on earth you'd know these most people in australia know them as big headed ants so in the same nest um, the, the soldiers have giant heads, and the mm. workers have just totally normal, small heads. And it's because the, the soldiers are the defence system straight away. And they've big heads because, mm. like the queens, need muscles for their wings to work, they need giant muscles for their mandibles to work and to defend and things like that. So, big headed ants, yes. Fidoli, and a really common and damaging invasive ants, Fidoli megacephala, megacephala, big head. It's been mm. no-brainer. Is it really obvious? So dig them up, have a look. You've got soldiers, big heads, workers, small heads.
2: But they can't change career then. They're, they're stuck as a soldier the rest of their life or stuck as a worker yeah. the rest of their life in that case. Yeah. Okay. So once again, it's like, as you said, it's, so talking about different types of ants is kind of, say, talking about different sorts of vertebrates. A dog is very different to a cow. You know, they, they've all dealt with problems differently.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah.
2: Except they're all ants, though. They are still ants. They're all yeah. – they can't breed. You couldn't take like a crazy ant, like a crazy yellow ant, I think they're called, and a, and another ant that I can't think of a name of for the moment, and mate them, can you? They're, they're separate species.
0: Well, as far as I know, there's no hybrids. I don't. Yes. To be honest, I don't know. That's something I'm going to look up. But no, as far as I know, there's no hybrids.
2: Hybrid ants. Although okay, they
0: that's... do, they change over time. So, and this is the same as mammals and vertebrates, or anything like that, is that you can have. A subspecies, but then the, then you get into this horrible complex world of taxonomy and who names what and why they name that and yeah.
1: And at what point does something start being a new species and stop being a subspecies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: you've got splitters, people who split species more often than not, and then you've got lumpers, people who lump species more often <laughs> than not based on morphological or genetic characteristics. That's, you know, that's it's great. a political nightmare. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, we don't get that path. Don't, let's just get Back away from the politics. So I, I'm, I'm going to try and go back. I'm just interested. So, is the colony the organism? Is that truly the way it is, or is that just the way because they work together so closely it looks like that?
0: That's truly the way it is. There's no solitary living ants. There's different strategies into so bull ants, Mermessias, they're solitary predators. So they, you'll see them by themselves in the landscape, but they still live in their colony in the in the nest. Uh, there's also colonies that are slave. Makers, so they will go and go into another nest and raid the nest and take some some workers from another species into theirs and <laughs> to slaves. I, I, I assume
1: um, that's where the phrase "white ants" comes from.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: Oof. and instead yeah, of KKK, bit... it's MMM, murna, murna, murna.
2: Um, we're so gonna go in next door and grab those guys so when they say now the see, see slaves has an implication for us of you make someone work you you own them you treat them badly but for an ant and i'm not trying to greg tries to justify his slavery yeah. uh but with ants, are they treating them badly or do they do they feed them do they, do they just become part of the colony
0: they become part of the colony, but the yeah, the slave leaders, if you like, the masters, do totally put them to work. Really. Oh, okay. But I mean I think the word slave is really it's a human construct. It's the word that we associate mm. with that sort of behaviour. You know, they've gone and stolen the workers from another nest, right? So it's not yes. it's not a hey, here's our workers. No, no, no. Five bucks an hour kind of thing.
2: <laughs> it's, it's <totally laughs> but, but they would have worked they would have worked until they died in the other nest. now they're just working until they died in this nest.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's not yeah, as if they whipped or anything.
2: Yeah, yeah. They're not executed yeah. if they don't work yeah, hard yeah. enough. Or, yeah, right. Okay, no, so, it, so it is very much a don't think you're like a human concept of slavery. It's just you either worked in that nest or you worked in this nest with ants that aren't. You weren't going to mate with them anyway. Interested. Yeah, yeah. You were never gonna Yeah, yeah, they're just not your sisters. So, so it's it's almost like me saying because I'm not related to the people I work with at my work, therefore I'm slaves there. Hmm.
0: Well, I guess so. That's a yeah. Oh, don't start. That's like a <laughs> philosophical mind beyond. And like, you know I was what just listening.
2: You know
1: what? Aunt Hitler, he got he got those pheromone trains running on time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Now oh. Angst. Ants aren't, ju- <laughs> ants aren't just ants aren't just slave owners. They're also farmers. I've heard that. And how do they farm?
0: They're the oldest farmers on earth. So leaf cutter ants in Central Well, Hang on. America. Well, well,
2: whoa. Well, well. no, no, look, that's a big call. They only live yeah. for one to five years. My uncle's a farmer, and he's fifty or sixty. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. So, so you know, not just, the,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: That's rubbish. They
0: have I'm calling you up, Doctor
2: you lies.
0: You did. You did. My language is
2: bad. That's inaccurate. <laughs> <language>. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just an idiot. Please. <laughs>
0: Okay, so ants as a group of organisms have been farming in evolutionary time longer than any other um, organism on Earth. Is that better?
2: Wow. Oh, yeah.
0: So I think... How to and, oh, define I'm farming. Have to look, you know leafcutter ants that you see, those iconic ants that are carrying giant leaves on top of their heads and they're always the ones where we talk about that ants can carry 100 times their own weight and then you see this giant thing and they are do do-do-do-do-do along... Well, most people think that the ants farm the leaves to eat the leaves, or they cut, the, but they don't eat the leaves. They take the leaves back to their nest, and it is essentially a substrate on which a fungus feeds, and they farm the fungus. So it's kind of like us feeding our cows and sheep, lucerne and hay and everything, so that the, the cows and sheep get fatter, and we eat the cows and sheep, we eat the meat. So what the leafcutter ants are just feeding their fungus, and then they eat the, they live off the fungus. So they're farming. That's farm so cool. Fungus. Yeah, really So they're basically
1: cutting out fertiliser.
0: Yeah. Or mulch. Or mulch, Mulch. yeah. I mean, it's food for the fungus and the fungus, if you cut open, there's some really cool pictures if you cut open a leafcutter's nest and it's just a huge chamber of fungus and then, then just the little leaf mulchy bits underneath and it's really lumpy and textured and the ants are just feeding on this surface fungi and the cool thing is that you know people go well why don't they die because fungus is a pathogen mostly and there's lots mm. of little microorganisms there that are bad but they have antibiotics that coat their exoskeleton so that actually protects them from any pathogenic
2: so they don't get fungus on them this this no. fungus stays where it should stay which is on the walls
0: yeah yeah that's
2: amazing That'd be cool
1: yeah, now, also... so they've got antibodies in their antibodies yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right, good, good.
2: And I've also heard that they on the slavery front, they also grab other species and bring them into the nest as well. Or they they like is that true? They farm things like aphids and that sort of stuff. Or slave
0: oh, yes. Other organisms. So,
2: yeah. oh, not, uh, not of ants, sorry, yes.
0: Yeah. Ants can have mutualisms with honeydew producing insects. So, it might be aphids or scale insects or psyllids or amblypods, some sort of honeydew producing thing. And ants will move the larvae of those to a more suitable site often where they can harness so and then as the larvae inserts the proboscis into the plant and becomes an adult so that's producing more honeydew the ants have that source of honeydew right where they need it and green tree ants are a classic for this actually you know green tree ants produce these nests that are like woven together with silk
2: oh oh yes do i ever oh no
1: (laughs) so ants can produce silk
0: yeah green tree ants do they get their mandibles and their legs and they grab one leaf and then the other leaf and then they pull them together and then they knit it together wow. with like a like a it's like a sticky thing yeah it's, it's analogous to silk it's sticking wow. it together weave it around which is why they're called weaver ants in africa and asia and green tree ants in australia but you'll often look into their little nest which is built around a twig like you've got the twig and then the, the nest around it and then all on that twig might be aphids or scale insects and that's their lolly lolly shop like they've created a little carbohydrate source within their house they don't have to go anywhere
2: it's amazing i always think it must be very hard for those uh, aphids because there's some ants you see an ant coming towards you and they're bigger than you and you go is this the one that's going to kill me and eat me or is this one that's going to protect me i have no way of knowing at this point yeah, Oh, I'm locked out! Hooray! Or, oh, oh, yeah, no, yeah. no, I'm lunch. That's it. Because some ants are like, maraud, 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 kill everything, drag it back home, dismember it. But They're that's not all friendly. Like
0: in the animal world, right, Greg? It's everyone for themselves. You just and never know who's going to come yeah. across next that's going to kill you. That's right.
2: That
1: sounds that's
0: like California. business to
1: me. That's why I'm talking to you guys both over the uh, phone lines. <laughs>
0: I just do not trust no you television. enough to have
2: you in the same room. All the same city. Wise,
0: Dan, wise.
2: <laughs> what's the thing about ants that most people don't know? Like, What's something when you tell them, they normally go, what?
0: That all worker ants are female. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. There you go. Without a the, that, go sisterhood.
0: Yeah, totally. Without a doubt, that is the thing that blows people's minds. Every single time. And over the years, having worked with ants and social insects, well, like bees and wasps are the same. They're mostly females that do the work. I mean, a bee colony is slightly different. The drones are males and they're there kind of all year round. But with ants, they can operate completely fine without any males um, for a lot, I mean, the altruism and the superorganism part does not include males. Males are there for genetic material, really only. Yeah. Um, so when basically they're like
2: flying, people- a flying a flying gonad. They just turn up. They, they impregnate the <laughs> queen and that's it. Yeah. That's just it. Right. Yeah. Okay. And it's oh, oh, it's.
1: There, so, wasn't there a highwayman called the flying gonad? What? <laughs> no. Really. The, 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 no i must the, be I, know, I may be misremembering that the, <laughs> it certainly sounds like the name of a.
2: It. it's one of your one of your fantasies there dan <laughs> beware
0: the I'm flying gonad cap, cap, i might make some puppets and do some puppet shows with a flying gonad i can just <laughs> <laughs> That's,
2: um, i didn't realize it's saucy adult puppet shows anyway yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they're oh, all sorry. girls so they're all so they're all females in the nest mm-hmm. That's such, that's actually, I didn't realize they all were. I thought there must be some males hidden away somewhere, just hanging out, being you know, watching television and scratching themselves or something.
0: No, they're not even doing that. They're born, they mate, they die. Like they're, they're just not even part of the the social fabric of the colony. I mean, in some species, they last for maybe a few weeks, maybe up to a month, and if they're mating multiple times and they can do that. But in some species, the males don't even have mouth parts. Like, they don't even feed. They just literally, they just get their genetic material out there and then they're done. And so that is against our entire cultural paradigm of Mm. control and work done by males, I mean, in our Western society. And you, you might notice, and I notice this all the time, is is when we see an ant or a butterfly or particularly insects but with most animals humans will say i wonder what he's doing oh look yeah. at oh look at that that little boy or you know that guy i mean our our language and the paradigm around male organisms is enormous and so in our discovery program actually we run an ant we run school of ants and pollination and some soil activities and I've decided that I think I'm going to ask all our facilitators to start just saying she, because yeah. in 95% of the cases we'll be right, but it actually, we've been wrong for so long. It doesn't matter whether you say he or she, because he's been wrong. So anyway, I'm changing it all to she, and I'm constantly saying it's girl. You mean she, her.
2: I think it's a good point. It's also scientifically accurate, which is, you know, technically correct, the best sort of correct, as I could say on the podcast. <laughs> so yeah. it's so they're all females, and that's, so why is that? Is that just an evolutionary – it could have gone down either path, or no, there's a reason why they're female?
0: I don't know, Greg, and this is another mm. thing I'm going to look up. You've got a few things I'm looking up now. You can trace lineages through mitochondrial DNA, which is maternal, and in mm-hmm. some ways that has driven the altruistic nature of the superorganism. So the mitochondrial line, if you like, um, is a lot stronger um, with with that, and I think that could have had something yes. to do with it. But yeah, I don't okay. know. Okay. Yeah.
2: So the here's the question is if we go back far enough, like the start of ants, like when ants became ants for the first time, were they like individuals hanging out doing the individual thing? Can we even ask answer this question? Like, or did, the, did the altruism come later as a as a colony sort of the colony concept was created, or were they always a colony animal?
0: No, the colony concept came later, and this is wow. yeah. Okay. To be honest, this is not my forte, but. Ants came from wasps, and wasps have a much more right. diverse um, social system. So there are solitary wasps, and there are wasps that don't hang out in these truly social, superorganistic colonies like ants. And so, yes, yeah, so ants were hanging out more like wasps, and then and then became super colonies. And in fact, even now That's... we're seeing the evolution towards what we call super colonies. My PhD was on the yellow crazy ant stuff, and so even when I started my research back then. <laughs> Was I was absolutely obsessed with the idea of this super colony, where mostly we see mosaics of ant colonies and nests in in a in a hectare or in your backyard or something like that, where ants fight at their boundaries, which is again this classic mm. paradigm of territoriality and things like that, and that's that's a single unicolonial ant structure and that's fine but these super colonies they can actually be loyal between nests they have multiple queens per nest and and they can have say well on Christmas Island where I work the yellow crazy ant had two and a half thousand hectares of a super colony that if you transferred like a worker between one nest over on a hill and hmm. another one about three kilometres away, you'd put it together and there'd be no fighting at all. They'd be genetically similar. Wow. And so, this cooperation between multiple nests and multiple colonies.
2: But they are related. They are somehow related. They're not, I mean, obviously, they're, I'm sorry, they're related, obviously, but they're, they're close enough related that they see themselves as sisters, cousins. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, okay. As sisters.
2: Sisters. Um, wow. And so
0: invasive ants are really good, and this is where my expertise comes in. Invasive ants are a good um, example of a suite of species that have evolved this super colony structure, in which case they're able to build up their numbers, and when it's a numbers game, they can overwhelm and out compete and displace other native ants. They can overcome. Mm mammals, vertebrates, all sorts of things, and just take over an ecosystem. And in Spain, the Argentine ant, which is a temperate invasive species, they found genetically similar ants around the entire coastline of Spain. I think it was 2,500 kilometres or something between oh. the end of Spain. And they were all genetically related. That's a super colony.
2: So that, now, I'm going I'm to come out and say that sounds very similar to humans to me. Like it, the thing about humans is we've learned not to murder I mean we still kill each other quite a lot but but really we don't I mean honestly there are seven seven point something billion of us most of us aren't murdering each other at any any moment in time that's why we can you know have a civilization so uh, we spread across the planet because of it. we've displaced everything else we can push everything out we, we work together I don't have to hunt and kill stuff and, or make food I can teach science because other people do that role for me through I mean you know I, I, I always I'm, I'm, suddenly I'm explaining capitalism and civilization to humans yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, oh Sorry.
0: you would love let me tell you about this fantastic <laughs> podcast about this guy from um this guy, Noah yuval Harari, I think his name is, and mm. his entire theory of why humans have dominated the world is the ability mm. to cooperate flexibly in large numbers mm. Mm. and no other animal on earth, and he does say, with the exception. With You know, ants and wasps are an exception to that, but that's on a much smaller scale and they obviously can't build cities and all those sort of thing to the scale that we do. Yeah. But, oh, but
2: hang on, but, but they're, to their scale, to their body size, can they? Because they're very really tiny, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah, so to their body size, absolutely. Yeah, change the whole <laughs> ecosystems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, But, yeah, so humans are a single species you've got to remember as well. So, mm. yes, we have an altruism to an extent within a species and mm. we can cooperate with someone that we don't know and he gave a really good example. Of, you know, if you look at chimpanzees, they won't trade a banana for a one dollar note because a one dollar note doesn't have <laughs> its value. Humans have told these fantastic That's stories. That, that and chimpanzees always
2: them. wait for stocks and bonds. That's what they know. Yeah, yeah, on. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a dollar. This is a banana. Get a, a, at least one a Microsoft share. Maybe a Bitcoin. For God's sakes, get with the times.
0: I know we are so behind. Humans are just catching up. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the argument is that we, we can cooperate with people we don't know or individuals we don't know and do so flexibly and change that cooperation based on the stories that we tell as humans. And it's unlike any other organism on earth. It's a cool one. Look that one up actually.
2: So are we an ant? That's the question. Are we a superorganism? No. Uh, no. okay, fair. <laughs>
0: Well, because we don't, we we are moving away from division of labor, which is one of the characteristics of a new social um, superorganism super as well. So, division of labor is one of the reasons ants have become so successful because it makes it very efficient. The opportunity cost that we have of trying to do everything as an individual is quite large, whereas if you're just task focused, you're actually much more efficient in your work. Right. If you like,
1: I suppose we could be considered superorganisms in the in, from the point of view that we have like. Trillions of like different types of bacteria in us, all working towards keeping us alive. So you're
2: kind
0: of a super organism, Greg. (laughs) Yeah,
2: (laughs) you're a super organism, Dan. That's I always think that. (laughs) I always go, Dan, he's a super organism.
1: But not when I put my
2: glasses on. (laughs) (laughs) Then I'm I'm simply Clark organism. (laughs) No one can ever tell. (laughs) What's the one question you're never asked about ants?
0: My new favourite thing at the moment is biomantling and bioturbation, Ooh. which is about the effect that ants have on the soil and the sort of the, the top layer of, of the earth. And I think people don't think of it because we take it for granted all the time that we see we see the surface of what ants do. And so I travel with an aluminium nest cast of an Australian meat ant, Iridomermex purpurius now, just so that people can visualise the kind of honeycombing that's going on under the earth. And so some of these Tunnels and chambers are one to two centimetres in diameter, and meat ant nests can have up to 70 to 80, 90 entrance holes. They go down to just over a metre, probably more, and the honeycombing that goes on underneath there is insane. There's air, there's all nutrients, there's organic material going down through these holes, which is aerating the soil, providing amazing nutrient turnover. They're like veins so- to the ground. Absolutely, like our bronchioles, really. So when you think about how they make that, they bring all that soil to the surface. And so that's actually disrupting the kind of the, layer, so the layers of the soil. So you know when you take soil cores mm-hmm. and all those paleoclimate people use soil core layers as an indication of what happened in the earth. Well, I was talking to some guys that do this down in Sydney, and they said that some of their cores, they've now realised they cannot interpret anything about the top 1.5 to 2 metres of soil because of that movement from the ants. So, bioturbation is the, the turnover within the turnover.
2: that top Wow. <laughs> so, they, they, so what's saying is that to, to up to 2 metres down, you can't tell what, so there's no layering for 2 metres because the ants are just constantly churning the soil around and around yeah. and around and around. Yeah, That's pretty
0: incredible. Much. I know, and in fact, that the coolest study. There's a guy in the states, Walter Schinkel, who is has been working on ants his whole life. He's incredible. He's like Mr. Aluminium Nest Cast. He's made nest casts of so many different species in the states, and to be able to visualize what they're doing. Some of these nests are going down three and four meters into the mm. into the wow. earth. And he did this cool study with a with a student on an ant called Technomermex septentrionalis, and I just like saying that too because it's very cool. <laughs> Um, and in a sandy system they in in a hectare they basically they located these technomix colonies they dug up the ants and some workers and put them aside and then they dug down about a meter and a half two meters in a cylindrical column they Mm -hmm. took all the soil out and then they lined the column with plastic so that the ants couldn't get outside that and then they layered colored sand in the column so and then they the top they transplanted the colony back in so that when they dug back down and brought all the soil up or the sandy soil up they could see what color sand was coming mm. up so they knew the depth from which the soil was coming and then they weighed that so they looked at the weight of soil and the so and the turnover, and then After a year, they dug back down into the channel so that they could see the change and turnover of colours within the nest. And they extrapolated to a hectare of ants, just one species, Technomermex septentrionalis. So there's multiple species in these systems, remember, but one species. They brought to the surface over 800 kilos of soil in a year. Wow. Over within the top meter and a half to two meters, another 200 and something kilos in a one hectare <sighs> space. <laughs> Oh, so a ton of soil per year from one species of ant is being moved and turned over and brought to the surface and I mean that's mind blowing the, the kind of yeah. biological activity that they are providing to the, the soil is the implications y- for that are enormous.
1: You think yeah. of the ground as being like a static thing, but the whole thing is churning like like yeah. the edge of a of the sea yeah, so yeah
0: t- totally yeah
2: if you watched it over time you'd be terrifying if you're like you know just <laughs> just, it'd just be like oh it's all moving that's scary now yeah. do they are, are they ones who come into your house because i've noticed there are differences in sizes of ants so you tiny tiny ones and big 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 ones but the ones that, that i think that i see in my house on a regular basis well, i should probably clean more but they're really small I, I've ants, uh, have it ants why make a difference greg it won't make any difference. They just come in anyway. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, good. There, I'm not going to clean them. There you go. It's I've been not told your by... hygiene. Yes. Take that, everyone who ever questioned my hygiene. <laughs> so, Doctor Kirsty says it's fine that I'm a filthy animal, and <laughs> uh, she's a doctor. She knows what she's talking about. Not that sort of doctor. She's an ant doctor. But that's fine. That's what so We talk about ants. Now, do the ants have ants changed to come and live with humans? Are, are there any ants that go, "Oh, yay, humans! We really like those guys." They created a fun environment for us, or no? They, they just exploit us, or they exploit everything else.
0: There's a suite of ants we call tramp ants that are more often associated with humans. And in Australia, there's probably 12 to 15 species. I mean, 12 to 15 species out of over seven or eight thousand. Remember, so it's a fairly hmm. sub, you know small subset. But yes, there are some that are more dis- predisposed to being with humans, just like crows and rabbits and you know cockroaches. And cockroaches, things like that. Yeah. But mostly, and um, some research done by Deborah Gordon, ant lady in the state, says that if the environment is right in there, they'll go. It's the weather that kind of ch- makes them move back and forth. It's, right. So, I mean, yes, it's, it can be food sources, but there's food sources in most of the environment. Ants, ants that are generalists will find food sources anywhere. So it'll be the weather or the change of that environment that moves them in and out. And if something's more desirable in your house, if it's a little bit more moist, if it's dry outside, or if it's, if there's a little bit, you know, of a hidey hole for the queen, um, if the temperature's mm. right, all those sorts of things, that's when they'll move in.
2: It's the environment, not us particularly. But I suppose we create the environment. So, well, we can anyway. We're good yeah. at that. Yeah, So if yeah. we want yeah, to get... We
0: probably uh, create microhabitats that they'll exploit.
2: If we want to get rid of the ants in our house, <laughs> I'm not asking for extermination advice, but if we want to make our houses less tasty for ants, what should we do? Uh,
0: move out? I, I don't <laughs> That's it, give up, give up, live in the wild. That's
1: a murmur-centric opinion.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. (laughs) Look, to be honest, you could probably, a lot of people put ant sand along windowsills and entrances and things like that, and essentially what that does, it's not a toxic thing in any way, but because ants smell through their tarsi, their feet, and their antennae, if they're clogged up, if their sensilla are, are clogged up, they can't smell and they get a bit confused so you could possibly put some powder or some sand around which clogs up their sensory system and they're more likely to turn back that's like that's like a hey great wall of china yeah. kind of thing generally it's really difficult It's, it's i don't know like it's, just, it's kind of poison or nothing really yeah so you're,
2: you're kill, so you're gonna kill turn on a kilo okay that's interesting so there's
1: really i've got this thing that happens at my place like once a year where <laughs> for about four hours in the in the middle of the day i will suddenly just have in, on the inside wall of my house and the outside front wall of the house, I just have, like, tens, of if not hundreds of thousands of winged ants that are bigger than the usual ones I see around. What is going on there?
0: Uh, well, are you sure that they're ants? Uh, could they be termites?
1: uh they're not
0: do you know the difference between Uh, like do you know uh, the difference between what they look like because i know termite um nuptial flights and winged termites when they disperse they can be thousands and thousands in a really short period of time same thing with winged queens but it's often not as noticeable i mean i'm not they could be winged queens but it's essentially a nuptial flight so you've just got coordinated kind of a little bit like coral spawning where you've just got coordinated males and Females, winged, or, and they're usually coming to light. So if they're attracted to a light space, um, they'll just congregate and find their partner.
2: Insect Tinder. They're it's, like swipe left, swipe yeah, left, swipe
0: yeah.
1: left. It's pretty nice. amazing because you'll come back a couple of hours later and it'll just, they'll just be gone. Be, yeah, right. There'll be no right. sign that they are ever there.
2: They've all yeah. gone to So – they've all, all paired up and all headed off for, for um, a date night. It's Netflix oh, yeah. and chill.
0: Yeah, where they dig and you know, hunker down under some leaf litter.
2: Oh, nice. That sounds like a, sounds like a sexy date. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So I reckon that's what they're doing.
2: There you go. They
0: probably do it more often than just that once, too, because they'll stagger their nuptial flights.
2: Huh. There you go. Hmm. So uh, now, you th- now you have to capture one and send a picture to Dr. Kirsty to see if it's a termite or not.
1: Yeah, because yeah. if it's a termite in my house, then that's a problem.
0: Termite, that's not a problem. I mean, there's lots of termites that are not problems, which we all we always think that you know any termite is a bad termite, but that's not the case. And in fact, there's probably more termites in Australia than ants by biomass. So they think that actually there's 27 times the biomass of ants, of termites in northern Australia alone. So actually, you know, the biomantling and the bioturbation and all that biological activity that I'm talking about with ants, Mm. now think of that with termites, and actually our entire country is controlled by termites and ants. Uh, Are
1: termites a type of ant or are they... Did they come from wasps or...?
0: No. So, actually, this is another thing, apart from um, me telling people that ants are female, that termites and ants are not related is another thing that people, it blows their mind because we call them white ants, they're not ants at all. The biggest similarity is that they work in social systems, like they're a eusocial insect, but they're more closely related and, in fact, their classification has just changed to be in Blatodia, which is cockroaches. So they're oh. more related to cockroaches oh. and, yeah... And it's got to do with the enzymes that they've got and their microorganisms in their gut, which allows them to digest cellulose and lignin so that they can eat grass and eat trees and houses and things like that. So ants can't do that. Only termites can.
2: There you go. So they're not related at all. They're they're totally separate things. Do they fight? <laughs> Is it like ant-termite wars and they go for each other and that sort of stuff? Yes, yeah,
0: sometimes. They... And it's, if you see, you know the, the um, termite mounds, often it, there can be an ant termite war for, the, for some real estate or termites die or move out and ants will move into their termite mound. Or you can mm. have a termite mound. I had a friend tell me the other day that she found a termite mound which had termites in one side and ants in the bottom of it that's pretty unusual <laughs> that, that they the, could share real estate like that that's amazing
2: okay well I, I look with the bombshell that dan's house is probably being devoured by termites oh, as we speak and <laughs> and, and the end of everything he's ever worked for is ha- about to happen we have to wrap up the interview i'm afraid dr kirsty so dan can go shore up his family home
0: yeah and so it doesn't,
2: yeah. doesn't crush and kill the people he loves <laughs> thank you. Look, thank you very much, Dr. Kirsty Abbott, for coming yeah, on the thank podcast. Thank you. And... Oh my God. for talking about
0: ants all morning, guys. <laughs> no, no, no,
2: absolutely. Where can people find you, Dr. Kirsty?
0: They can Google me. Um, you know, just yep. Google me. But UNE, I've got a staff page at UNE or School of Ants. Check out my TEDx talk that I did last year too, because I talked about invasive ants and how they dominate the ecosystems. In that, or my Put Richard Feidler podcast as well. Yeah, okay, I chatted to Richard Feidler a couple of times, which was really nice, and talked about invasive ants and
2: you oh, know. who's better, us or him?
0: Oh, you know the answer to that, Greg. You. We do,
2: we do know <laughs> the answer to that.
1: We've seen dust
2: capital. <laughs> He's a hero of ours. Yay! Uh, well, thank you very much, Dr. Kirsty Abbott, and uh, best of luck in the future.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. See you guys.
1: You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org.
2: Also, Greg at smartenough.org, and I now super care about ants. It was a prophecy at the start of the podcast, Dan.
1: Thank you very much now to Dr. Kirsty Abbott for her time and that's her lovely oh, voice. That's
2: ants, it's forever and ever and ever. I just want to talk about ants. That's it from now on. That's it.
1: Yeah, follow us on Twitter, SE2KB, Facebook, SE2KB, all that stuff, uh, SE2KB, all all that that guff. We are going to be travelling around America, not together. Absolutely, not together. But (laughs) splitting up, like separating, like in a horror film, so that we can cover more ground.
2: That's right. It's a big, big country full of amazing people. So Dan and I will shake hands at the Australian border, and then we will go into the American wilderness and cities and we will see as much of it together and apart as we can.
1: So if you're a fan of the podcast and you'd like to catch up with one of us, I, Dan, I'll be landing in California on about the 13th of August, and I'll be spending about five weeks traveling through Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, and then back to California. So if you're in any of those places and you would love to (laughs) catch up and meet up for a drink or something, feel free to contact me. So at DNA Beast at Twitter,
2: Greg. And I will be about the same time landing in LA and Las Vegas and the Grand Canyon. Just race up to me at the Grand Canyon and scream my name. that will be fantastic. And then Denver which is Colorado and then Wyoming and the the Yellowstone National Park, dress up as a bear and leap out and go, Greg, I love the podcast. As someone else, uh, earlier when we talked about going to America, a listener wrote in saying, do you understand the word bear has many connotations outside of the large land predator? And I went, no, because Bosley, I was saying, I was looking forward to being cuddled by a bear.
1: Ah, And he was
2: like, like, well, I'm a bear. If you'd like a cuddle, I don't live in Yellowstone. But if you come to Idaho... (laughs) I was like, oh, right. I hadn't even thought about that. But hey, look, I'm up for anything. And so, yeah, so Yellowstone and then across to New York City. Look, if you can get me tickets to Hamilton, I will cuddle you like a bear. (laughs) <laughs> uh basically yes if you're listening mr miranda and would like to you know because you're a creator of content the writer and star of hamilton and i'm a creator of content we're the same if you want to give me a ticket why not so you yeah, will be in new york and then coming back so if you want to meet up with me anyone feel free get in contact with me at at the wah t-h-e-w-a-h on twitter
1: and if you are anywhere near the solar eclipse path in the u.s when it stay happens stay away
2: totally get, stay away from rush it rush to it it's an incredible no, experience do no, go the other way cuz you're going to block up my, you're going to block really high the really get the biggest
1: vehicle English. you can and just pull out onto the road and if you cause
2: an accident, so be it. That's for the, that's a problem for the people behind you. I see. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you're looking for information about it, go to thegreatamericaneclipse.com. It's got lots of good information on there uh, to help you with what you're going to be looking at and where you should go. Just stay away from Wyoming because that's where I'll be, and uh, <laughs> I want to make sure I see it. If you
1: want to hear more from us, we have actually been involved in another project
2: we got together and did a team up with the I'm Raven on. Here, Dan. Hey? I'm going to stop here, Dan. Yeah. I'm going to point out that it's, it's called a, the cool kids call it a collab. It's not a team up, it's a collab.
1: Well, the team up sounds more like we're all superheroes.
2: Oh, yeah, collab's rubbish. It's a, cool, yeah, it's a yeah, team up. It's a team, team up. up. It's yeah, a, team up. a team, up. team up. Good, okay.
1: Okay, you need to check the show notes, go to smartenough.org, and there will be a link to the Raven on Game of Thrones podcast where we were guests and talked about the science of a magical land.
2: Yes, we are, uh, Natalie and Stu, who are the the hosts of the Ravenon podcast, They very kindly invited us to come on and to talk about science and theories and all sorts of interesting stuff about Westeros and Game of Thrones, which is, you know, right in our wheelhouse. But it was a lot of fun, so we're really happy to have done it, and we want to make sure people listen to it.
1: Yeah, and uh, also, we're going to be in America during this season of Game of Thrones, so if anyone wants to, like invite us into their homes to watch like the last couple of episodes, because we've been spent a week and a half in a tent.
2: You don't have to invite us into your homes. Just let me stand outside your window and watch. That'll be fine. I'm pretty good at lip reading, so that'll be good.
1: He's pretty good at standing outside people's windows, too.
2: Look, look allegedly. Allegedly. And as we always like to say... White ant power. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. We're really just sort of talking about ants in a very simplistic way, to be honest.
1: <laughs> Thorax, abdomen, head. That's what you need to know. That's yeah, it. That's it. Greg, that? Greg's the sort of person who would actually avoid antennas on his head. A little bit of the alfoil, alfoil around just that's, to block it all out.
2: I, I, look, hey, if, if, if anyone is the one who wants to get rid of his brain and go into space with aliens, it's me, Dan. I'm all for it. Come oh, on. Right. You can't say that I'm...
1: I learned this thing about the, about tinfoil hats. They wouldn't block things out like a Faraday cage. They would actually pick amplify. up or amplify signals. Yeah. So yeah, 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 these people yeah. with tinfoil hats, they're actually helping.
2: And if you think about it, it's, it's shaped like that. So it's an antenna down. So you might be stopping a little bit from space, but the mole men are going to get you every time.
0: From the bottom, yeah.
2: <laughs> I went out to do a like with grade five, like so teach them about the solar system at a school. We're doing all the planets and invariably with kids when I get to Uranus everyone giggles like crazy, which is fine. I, I, I know how to deal with that now, it's fine. Well, I thought I did. So I was like blah blah blah. Of course, yeah, after, after after Saturn we've got Uranus, where do you read for it? And they all kind of looked at me and I but I kind of went directly into, you know, and I know it's funny, we just gotta stop laughing and move on. And basically half of them went, Why is it why is it funny? And I went, oh, <laughs> you know, because it sounds like anus. And suddenly, 25 kids went, oh my God. Oh, yeah. And I realized I'm the first person to ever mention it. And I went, if I had not said a word.
0: You just saved them like 20 years of pain working it out for themselves. Uh-huh.